Thank you. In 1969, Neil Armstrong was the first person to walk on the moon. What a great uh, privilege. What a, what a distinctive. He, his uh, fellow astronaut was Buzz Aldrin, and Buzz Aldrin was the second person to uh, step on the moon. But he was the first person to, to take communion on the moon. Isn't that interesting? The same day, he took communion. And there was a broadcast that went from the lunar module uh, and heard around the world. And here's what Buzz Aldrin said. This is the lunar module pilot. I'd like to take this opportunity to ask every person listening in whoever and uh, wherever they might be to pause for a moment and contemplate the events of the past few hours and to give thanks in his or her own way. And then the radio went silent and and he in the lunar module opened up a communion kit that had been provided to him by his church in Houston, Texas, uh, Presbyterian Church where he was an elder. And uh, a year later he told Guidepost magazine that this is what happened. In the radio blackout, I opened the little plastic packages which contained the bread and the wine. I poured the wine into the chalice our church had given me. In the one-sixth gravity of the moon, the wine slowly curled and gracefully came up the side of the cup. Then I read the scripture, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me will bring forth much fruit. I love this. You know, stepping on the moon was a giant step for mankind, right? It was a, a, a monumental event in the history of humanity, and yet Buzz Aldrin understood that it paled in comparison to that great event that had happened 2,000 years earlier when Jesus Christ hung upon the cross and paid the penalty for our sin. And he was keeping the big event front and center in his mind and heart, as should we. For those of you who don't yet know Jesus, I want you to consider God's great love for you displayed on the cross. The Bible says, greater love has no one than this. A man lays down his life for his friends. God laid down his life for you. He loves you that much. And I know you have sin. We all have sin and have fallen short of the glory of God. That's true of all people. But don't let your sin keep you from God because he has made a way to be reconciled with him. And that is through faith in his son, Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, it was very intentional. He substituted himself for you. He paid your penalty. The wages of sin is death, true, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus, by his stripes, we are healed. Jesus died in our place so that our sins could be forgiven. And the Bible says all we need to do in order to receive this great gift is to repent of our sins, put our faith in Jesus Christ, and let him be leader of our lives. And if we'll do that, God will honor it with forgiveness, takes our sins away as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. He plants his Holy Spirit within us. He comes to live with us, to empower us to live a righteous life, a life that is pleasing to him. And when we die, his spirit brings us back to life, to live with him forever in heaven. Why would you say no to that great gift, to the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ? You don't have to say no. You're in church today. Uh, please don't leave without uh, 
giving your life to Christ, becoming a Christian, receiving his gift. Now, there aren't any magical words. Uh, God sees our heart. But if you don't know what to pray, you can pray something like this. God, uh, I want a relationship with you. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, but I receive Christ's death, your son's death upon the cross as payment, full payment for my sin. And now I'm committed to living a life that will please you in the power of your spirit. And if you say something like that, God, and mean it the best you know how, God sees your heart, and he will honor that. And in fact, he gives you the right to become a child of God, and he'll give you that right this morning. So don't wait. Let's pray. Spirit of God, uh, your word goes forth in power. You're the one who empowers your word. Father, for those who don't know you, I pray that you would open their hearts to see that it is only in a relationship with you that we can find life to the full. And even right now, be convicting and drawing all men to yourself. Uh, Empower the preaching of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So all summer we've been studying the book of 1 Corinthians which is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he had started in Corinth, Greece. He was living in Ephesus at the time he wrote the letter, uh, but he had been visited from, by some folks from Corinth who got him up to speed on the situation of the church, and uh, some of which was concerning, and they brought him theological questions, and so he writes the letter of 1 Corinthians. A lot of great sermons. If you've missed some, you can catch up online, Clearwater. Church. You can download the Clearwater Church app, take the sermons with you on the go. But today we're looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, so turn there in your Bibles if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. And I told you the Buzz Aldrin communion on the moon story because today Paul gives us instructions on how properly to take communion or the Lord's Supper. Those are synonyms. So I begin reading in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Wow. (laughs) Now, he's been saying a lot of nice things. Not everything's been nice, uh, but all of a sudden, he's about to uh, give the Corinthians a, a spiritual spanking. I can't commend you in what you're doing. Can you imagine? This is, this is Paul's, what if he said to us, hey, uh, Clearwater Church, when you guys get together, it's for the worse, not the better. It doesn't hurt, help you, it harms you. And why? It's because the Corinthians are taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. They're grieving the heart of the Lord. And as a result, uh, they are f- falling underneath his discipline. And his discipline is quite significant. In fact, Paul uh, will get to there, but he says, for, because you're taking communion unworthily, some of you are weak, some of you are ill, and some of you have even died. So this is a serious matter. So what is it that, what is it that they're doing that can't be commended? Verse 18, for in the first place, When you come together as a church, let me just pause there a moment, uh, do note that the early Christians did regularly gather together. They did local church. 
And so those Christians that you know, and I know you know some because I certainly do, who are the fuzzy Christian, fuzzy slipper Christians, right? They think that they can have a, a, a vibrant relationship with God apart from being a member of a local church. They're misguided. That wasn't the practice of the early church. Uh, Hebrews tells us, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but consider one another to provoke unto love and to good deeds. So we need each other, and we need to gather together to worship God corporately and to uh, love each other in a group setting and hear the word of God proclaimed corporately. But when these guys are getting together, it's not a good thing. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. I think he's being sarcastic. In chapter 1, Paul um, lamented the divisions in Corinth, and he said uh, these divisions uh, center around kind of preferred leaders. Some say, I follow Paul, and others, I follow Peter, and then others, I follow Apollos. And others, I follow Christ. And so, and Paul says, it's just, there's one God, there's one gospel, there's one spirit, one baptism. Why is there division? That breaks the heart of God. You need to be unified. And sure, uh, we we all have preferred um, ways that the gospel gets articulated and preferred spokespersons, but that should not allow division. So in the first place, when you get together, the divisions amongst you are evident. Apparently, they're forming up into cliques, right? There's the Apollos group, and there's the Paul group, and there's the Peter group, and there's the Jesus group. Verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Well, they think it's the Lord's Supper. They're claiming it's the Lord's Supper, but it's so qualitatively poor that Paul says it's just, it's not. God is not recognizing this as the Lord's Supper. Uh, it's not. You might think it is, but you're deluding yourselves. It's so far from what the, a true Lord's Supper should be. He continues, verse 21, For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. Communion is supposed to be a corporate experience. We do it together to symbolize our unity in Christ, that we're one body. But apparently, um, people were showing up to the service at different times, and then they were just, they started eating on their own in their little groups. They weren't waiting for each other, which was very uh, demonstrating the disunity of the church. But it's even worse. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? This isn't supper time, people. It's the Lord's Supper. Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? So some people showed up to church and they had very meager, if no, provisions. And then the wealthier type were showing up with... uh, really nice bottles of wine. And they were broken, breaking them out, and they and their friends were maybe drinking too much communion juice, and they were getting drunk. And so there's, there is not only kind of the religious division, there's economic division. And this is grieving the heart of God because it shows disrespect to the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. 
right? There was the physical body of Christ uh, while he was on earth and the physical body that uh, was sacrificed on the cross, but then there is the uh, spiritual body of Christ, the church. And so how, how can you be taking communion and celebrating the, the body of, the, uh, of Christ when you're disrespecting each other? doesn't make any sense. So he concludes, what shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And then in verses 23 to 26, Paul reminds the Corinthians of the true purpose of communion. This is what it's all about. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So uh, I didn't make this stuff up. I'm passing on to you tradition that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. It's Jesus who started this thing. The Lord's Supper is his idea, and he taught us how to do it. And we need to follow his teachings. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the bread uh, represents the body of Christ that was broken on the cross on our behalf. And so when we, when we eat of the bread, uh, we need to recognize what it symbolizes. We need to take it in by faith and have a, a proper respect and uh, reverence for that. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. New covenant. So uh, the, the Jews or the people of God uh, prior to Christ, uh, they, their relationship with God was governed by the old covenant, which is sort of the relational agreement. And it had, you know, it, it had its rules. But the coming of Christ, the death of Christ upon the cross, the, his resurrection from the dead, instituted a new covenant. We, the people of God, we relate to God in a different way. It's the covenant of grace. We relate to God based on the fact that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins once for all on the cross. His righteousness has been granted to us. And so that we, uh, our relationship with God is secure and not dependent upon our good works for the day, but based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's a new covenant. And so when we drink the juice, we need to be uh, understanding, appreciating, celebrating, and entering into this new covenant of grace reality. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So communion is all about remembering that uh, sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and the new relationship uh, covenant it instituted for us. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup. Here at Clearwater Church, we take communion every other uh, Sunday. But the Bible never tells us how often. And so Christians, some Christians' uh, churches take communion once a quarter. And some it's once a month. And some it's every single week. And with the Catholics, you can get communion every day. So we're not told how often, but however often we do it, we're to be remembering Christ 
and we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We do it every other week because on the weeks we're not doing communion, it provides us some time to do testimonies and highlight ministries. So it's more just a, uh, a practical decision. But I love regular communion because it means the gospel is proclaimed. No matter what the sermon is about, when you have communion, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. It's just a, a, symbolic, uh, a sim- symbolic proclamation, Christ died so that we might live. Verse 27, now he comes to the warning. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Whoa. It is possible to partake of communion in an unworthy manner. And if you take communion in an unworthy manner, you become guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. In other words, you kind of put yourself on the side of the people for who crucified Jesus. You're disrespecting uh, Christ's sacrifice. And that's not a good thing because that brings the judgment of God. Verse 29, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. So Paul's saying, listen, Corinthians, you, many of you are taking communion in an unworthy manner and you're bringing down uh, the, the discipline of the Lord upon your heads, and some of you are weak, some of you are sick, and some of you have even died as a direct result. All right, we're now going to take communion. <laughs> we are going to take communion today, but... Yeah, what? Okay. We don't want to take it in an unworthy manner. So what in the world does that mean? And how can we avoid making this mistake? Because there's no indication in Scripture that, uh, that this has changed. We still don't want to partake of communion in an unworthy manner, lest God discipline us. So what does it mean? What is taking in an unworthy manner? Well, I think verse 29 clarifies For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. That's the problem. The problem is the Corinthians are getting together for for supper. And they're not really remembering Christ. They're They're not keeping Christ's sacrifice front and center. They're not discerning the body. There's also a double meaning here, which is it's also they're not discerning the body of Christ, which Paul's talked about. You're not recognizing in each other Christ's body. And so by disrespecting each other, not waiting for each other, not sharing with each other, having factions, uh, you are not discerning the body. And so as a result, you're taking in an unworthy manner. So what do we do? When I was in college, I uh, went to a communion service with a buddy. He was a Christian, and 
I noticed he didn't take communion. So afterwards, I, I said, hey, why didn't you take communion today? He said, well, I'm, this, I was not worthy this week. I said, wait a second. Are you ever worthy? And he's like, well, I'll, I want to have a better week before I take communion. You know, I wasn't praying that much, didn't really read my Bible, wasn't helping the little old ladies across the street, I didn't say no to all the temptations that came my way, so I'm not worthy. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's not saying, get your life in order, make sure you live a good life, so that when you show up for communion, you're like, yeah, I think I'm on the worthy side today, and maybe you're taking a bit of a chance. It's about a hard attitude. It's about whether you are uh, discerning the body. So what do you do? What if you do if, uh, if you think there's a chance that you're, you're about to take in an unworthy manner? Well, Paul tells us in verse 28. And what he doesn't say is, hold off a week, get your life in order, then come back uh, when, when you've done a little bit better. Rather, he says, here it is, verse 28, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let a person examine himself, and once you're done doing that, then take communion. So for a Christian, unless you are defiant in your heart and you know I'm unrepentant and I'm not going to change, well, if that's the case, don't take communion, uh, but you've got other problems. But, but unless, you're, unless you are stubborn and defiant, you should never leave without taking communion. And so let's talk about that. Uh, let a person examine himself. And so prior to taking the Lord's Supper, you pause, and, and like David, you say, search me, O God, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and if there is, lead me in the way everlasting. Point out what problems are in my life, and then help me get back on track. And the Spirit of God will help you. So you say, Lord, I'm taking time right now. Please bring to mind uh, any areas that are unworthy of Christ. And, and, and then the Spirit of God will, if, there, there, if there's anything in your life that you need to change. And so what do you do when the Spirit of God brings that to mind? Well, 1 uh, John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. If anyone thinks he has no sin, he deceives himself, but... If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I like to think about this as antivirus software. Uh, scan, delete. So I have Norton on my computers. And what do you do? Well, you, you periodically, you scan and the antivirus software scans your computer to see if there are any viruses or anything suspicious any problems, and then it'll tell you, ooh, you know, you got these four issues. Then what do you do? Delete. And so we examine ourselves. Lord, is there anything unworthy in my life? And the Spirit of God reveals that, and then we just confess it, and that says, God, that's wrong. I acknowledge that's wrong. I don't, that's not worthy of you. I don't want that to be a part of my life. Forgive me and help me to do better. And he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness because Jesus Christ has died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And so do you need to wait a week? 
instantaneously you are clean. And so you can come and take communion. And there's no danger. Which is what I think he's saying in verse 31 and 32. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. What he's saying is, Christians, God's judgment is actually discipline. Uh, And the point is not punitive. If you're a Christian, God's not interested in punishing you. He's interested in changing you. He's disciplining you to break you free from sin's grip. He's disciplining you to uh, realign your heart and your mind with him. He's not interested in punishing you. So if you will examine yourself and kind of correct yourself, God doesn't need to. That's different from the judgment that's coming upon the world. That's a, a, a judgment or a judgment that's coming upon the world. That's a, a, a condemnation judgment. That's a judgment of, of punishment. And so look, communion provides you an awesome opportunity to uh, get your life back on track so that you don't need to fall under the discipline of the Lord. In fact, you don't need to wait till communion. Make it a regular habit to examine yourself, to run that exercise. Lord, you do it every day if you want to. Not a bad idea, especially for some of you. No, just kidding. I have no idea. But you just pause and you're like, Lord, Spirit of God, reveal anything in my life uh, that's unworthy of you. And if he does, maybe he won't do anything. Oh, fine. But if he does, then you say, okay, I see that. That's wrong. I confess that to you. Forgive me. And you know he forgives you because Christ died to pay the penalty for your sin. Your, your, your forgiveness is, is secure, of course. And then you, you receive that forgiveness and that cleansing, and you walk forward. And if you do that regularly, God said, he's saying right here, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. God wouldn't need to discipline you. Why does he need to discipline you if you're already, you know, kind of dealing with the, the uh, issues in your life? So that's the beauty of communion. It provides us an opportunity to self-discipline, self-examine, and get back on track. So then he concludes in verse 33 and 34. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. And so here's why, you know, I think you can see why churches do communion the way they do. It's not, it's not inappropriate to do a full meal. You just got to wait for everybody, and everybody has the same, right? And you keep the focus on Jesus, no problem. Uh, the reason we give tiny little juice, tiny little cracker, so nobody thinks they're having their dinner. And we're doing it together. So we are going to take communion today, Uh, but before we do, we're going to examine ourselves. This this is about Jesus. It's about remembering his sacrifice on the cross and and, uh, proclaiming that through this uh, act. But we're going to examine ourselves, so we're going to scan and delete. So we're going to start by just take some time in the quiet of your own heart. And you say, 
Spirit of God, reveal to me anything that's unworthy of you in my life. And give the Lord, be silent and quiet and let the Lord bring that to mind. And then we are going to claim the forgiveness that is ours in Jesus because he died on our behalf. And by doing that, you are discerning the body when you receive his forgiveness. So, Josh is going to be playing over us. Take some time right now. Just examine yourself. Deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his His face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to If you have not repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, then to take communion would be uh, an unworthy act. Uh, You're definitely not discerning the body. And Jesus tells us that if we are on our way to the temple with an offering and remember that we have conflict with a brother or sister, we're to leave the offering, go reconcile, and then come. So if you uh, have conflict with another Christian and you have not done all that you can do to resolve that, um, do hold off and go make that right before you partake of communion. So we've examined ourselves, we've scanned, and now we're going to delete. And the only reason we can delete is because Jesus Christ died on the cross. And his death is full payment for all the sins of the whole world. Full payment for your sins and my sin. 
And so what we're doing is we are claiming what is ours as Christians. And we are applying uh, Christ's death for, uh, well, God does that. But we're receiving that promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so now what we're going to do is the Lord's brought that to attention and uh, just confess that to the Lord and receive his forgiveness and cleansing. Go ahead and do that now. So Jesus, by faith, we have confessed our sins and now we receive the promise that we are forgiven because Christ has shed his blood and allowed his body to be broken for our sin. He substituted himself. So we receive uh, forgiveness and cleansing. And now, because of Christ in a worthy manner, uh, we come and partake of the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.